Church, I'm going to do something a little bit different to start our service today. First of all, if you are new to Grace, it is so good to have you here. Hopefully, we'll have the chance to connect after service. But um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but we got a great problem, and it's happening in all of our services. We are growing, 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 growing. Like, like let's just me out a little bit, people. <laughs> this is amazing, but, but God's doing a thing, and um, and, and, and I, I don't know how to explain it other than just God, God is bringing people here. But we have been talking about, you know, what are the, the options that we have to deal with the growth? Because we are, uh, last week, we literally had families that could not find a place to park, couldn't find a place to sit. It's, an, it's, it's just one of those things that happen. And, and can I just tell you, it's a good problem. I'm thankful for that problem. But here's the deal. I want you to, I want you to hear what, what we're going to do in the, in the immediate future, beginning March 20th, four weeks from today. Everybody say March 20th. March 20th, okay? Four weeks from today, we're actually going to a new service time structure. Um, we're going to four services on March 20th, Okay. So I know, I was like, oh, where, where are you doing? Don't take away my service. Hold on, hold on, because I'm getting ready to do it. Our, our, our service times, our service times are going to be 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, and 12.30. And so, like, you're sitting around like, what people are going to not? You're trying to figure out what, who the cool people are, what, where you're going. But here's the deal. I just, you know, pick one, pick one, you know. But we're going to be doing this, um, it's... Obviously, it's, it's just a unique time, unique season. Whoever thought when we started this thing a, a while ago, in fact, Pastor Lowell Foster's here. He started this church in 1976. How, how, how old is Pastor Foster? 95 years old, and he's still here on the second row. Lowell Foster, so good. I honor you and what you did. When this church started with 23 people and they said, let's do this, who would have known what God was gonna do? But man, people are getting saved, lives are being transformed. And guys, like I said, it's a great problem, so let's, let's do this. Now, here's the thing. I, there is no way, I, I think it's irresponsible for me to just like, try to do as many services and, and, and me preach. So we've actually, we're bringing on an associate teaching pastor to, uh, to help me out. I'd like to introduce him this morning. Come on up. You know Matt Ritchie, but he's gonna actually be taking this position. So here's, here's the deal. We're, we're gonna study together. We're gonna prepare together. That's our pastors every Tuesday and Thursday. That's what we do. We study together, pre- prepare together, and then we go out. You know, it's, it's always unique, like, Matt's not going to preach my style. I'm not going to preach his style, right? But what we're going to do is we're just going to be sharing the, the teaching from week to week. And so, so let me just tell you this right now. Like, don't go to Matt and say, hey, what service are you, you preaching at? Because, man, you're, you're literally going to hurt my feelings. I'm like, oh, man, you know. So, so here's the deal. We're, we're literally, it's going to be different. We're just going to be switching it around. Uh, you'll, you'll never know when you show up what's going to happen. We're going to keep it fresh. It's going to be good. But, uh, but I'm excited to have Matt join. Now, here's the deal. He's still over next gen. But here's the great news. How many, how many volunteers do you have now back on your team? We have 25. 25 volunteers are working with our, our students every week uh, on Wednesday nights. This place is 
packed with teens. Uh, it, it is amazing what God's doing. But he, he, he shared with me because I'm like, man, what, what's this going to look like? And he said, I have such a great team that literally uh, I, I, I'll still be able to lead next gen, but you know, he won't have to be as hands-on. He has so many great uh, volunteers to make a difference. But Matt, I'm so glad you can be part of this. So can you thank Matt for, for what he's going to be doing, being part of this? Now, like you're, you might be saying, okay, so what do you do like if we keep growing? I'm like, I, I, honestly, right now, I don't know. All right, we're, we're brainstorming. Like all ideas are on the table. We're, we're just brainstorming. Like if you have an extra 10 million sitting around, you know what to do with? <laughs> Talk to me. We, 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 got, we, got, we got some plans, but no. In, in all seriousness, we, we've been trying to figure out, God, what is your plan for this body here? Um, I don't want to get ahead of the Holy Spirit's leading, but neither do I want to be, uh, we, we don't want to be a leadership team that's scared to move forward. And so we're just seeking God's direction. So would you just join with us and just pray for how God would lead us? We're, like I said, we're looking at all options right now, but, uh, but God's moving and I'm thankful for that. In fact, it's just a, cra- a weird thing has happened over the last month. And um, I won't say this carefully, because I, I, don't, I don't know how and why God works and when he works the way he does. We've had three people in the last month that had stage four cancer healed of cancer. Now, now listen, when, when I, when I, I'm not talking about, you know, they, they did through all this treatment. They said, hey, your cancer's in remission. I'm talking about like miraculous where, in fact, the lady was here this morning. It was the first time that she'd been here uh, on, on site, uh, maybe ever because, she, because of her immune system, she hadn't been able to come. They'd given her literally months to live. She had a massive tumor. They were gonna take out, they, they took it. The tumor was gone, the cancer was gone and, and they didn't do the surgery. And she's like, what's going on? And they said, well, you're gonna have to come back and we're gonna do blood work. Brought them in. They cannot, they cannot explain it. Just heard another story at, at, at our Oaks breakfast. Same thing, stage four cancer. God, I, here's the deal. They can't explain it, but I can. Now, now here's here what I can't explain. I don't know why God heals some and doesn't heal others. But what I, what I have learned, every, everything that God does, God does, it's a sign that's pointing people to Jesus. And what we want to be intentional about, whether it's through just the Spirit's moving here. I, I talked to a family uh, just this past week. They had been estranged, and God miraculously got hold of people's lives. They've come back to the Lord. The family's back together. Guys, there's no other way to explain this, and God's moving. But what I want to be very intentional about, church, we are not here to have a show. We're not here to just, you know, hey, look how many people showing up. This is cool. Let's high five. We just want to point people to Jesus. And so I just, man, be praying. We, we want to see souls saved. We want to see, we want to see people deepen the relationship with, with Christ. And, and, man, be smart about what we're doing and just being faithful to do is, you know, what God's doing. So anyway, just wanted to let you guys know what's going on March 20th. Be paying, you know, don't forget, like somebody went out of the, this last service and they said, we're starting March 1st. No, we're not. It's March 20th. That's why I made you say it. Like, if you, if you get it wrong, I'm like, hey, you said it. So uh, we're in this. Hey, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Um, man, as, as we jump in this morning, I, I had a conversation with a basketball coach, uh, a good friend of mine, oh, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And he, he was talking about some of the challenges he was having with his team and, and, and all of that. And, and he said, man, he said, I just, I want these guys to learn the game and, and to execute well and all that sort of thing. 
Now, he, he was talking to me, just his coaching strategy, but really, you know, it's funny. I thought about this later. He, he's actually in the business of forming basketball players. He's discipling basketball players. They're learning his system his way, and that's what he's all about. I talked to a, fr- a buddy of mine who owns a business uh, a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about some of the new s- systems and processes that they're implementing that have everything to do with improving the company's culture. And as, as he's sharing, I, I thought about this. I didn't think about it in the, the moment. I thought about it this week as I was studying. What he was talking about was he's, he's wanting to create employees that fit a specific culture. In essence, he's... He's forming them for this cult. He's, he's discipling employees. It's funny because when we think of discipleship within a Christian context, it's always like, well, there's this intentional relationship or somebody's pouring into me or whatever. But the reality is all of us probably are being discipled and influenced by someone, some way, somehow. If you're a kid, maybe you're, you're, you're being influenced to be a wrestler. You're, you know, may, maybe you know, you're, you're being influenced, uh, you're taking lessons, uh, music lessons. We are all being formed in some way. I want us to think about this, that sometimes that formation is specific to skill, talents, you know, the development of that. Other times this formation is happening whether or not we're conscious of it. In fact, there's a spiritual formation that is good and there's a spiritual formation that is bad. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but when I, when I talk about good, Christ-centered spiritual formation, which is what we're talking about in the series, I'm talking about a spirit-driven process in which, if you look at 2 Corinthians 3, 8, this will give you a picture of this there at the end of the chapter, in which we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's, it's the work in which we are made like Christ. It's the work of the Spirit in which he's transforming us, not externally, because a lot of us, we want to change what we do, change the outside. He's changing us from the inside out to become like Christ. Amen. That's really what this discipleship idea is all about. But, but you'd probably agree with me. Our first instinct is not to be Christ-like, right? I, I mean, I, I would think we're, we're not born thinking that way. You ever wondered why that's the case? Probably if you, you know, he's like, well, I know the case. And you take me to Genesis 1. And actually, it's a great place to start. If you blaze through Genesis 1 and 2, you see God creating all things and he's calling things good and all of this. You get to Genesis chapter Chapter 2, he's, he's created Adam. And we get to the middle of, of, of Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man, talking about Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden. This is paradise. He put him there to work it, to keep it. And the Lord commanded man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so, so real, real quick, let me pause. This, this command, it's the first command God gives to man. Like, you, you need of, of anything. Like, literally, you can eat of anything. Just don't eat of this tree. Okay, but what do you know? You, man, parents, come on. You tell your kids. <laughs> you guys can do whatever. Just don't go there. What do they do? It's like, <laughs> you know? Dude, like we've all, we've all seen the kids do that, man. That's just what, that's, that's, that's what they do. And sure enough, this is, this is what takes place. You keep reading through chapter two, 
God gives this command, creates Eve. Adam really likes that. And then you get to the, the end of the chapter, and man, it's paradise. There's intimacy with God. In fact, Genesis 3 reveals that, that God has this custom in which he comes to paradise. He's, he's coming to the garden in the cool of the day. It's his custom, it says. He would meet with Adam and Eve. And by the way, there's just something beautiful here that I don't want us to miss. God comes near his people. If you, if, you, if you have this jacked up idea of a God who wants to remain distant, that's not the God of Scripture. In fact, all of Scripture is about revealing the fact that God is a God who reconciles, a God who comes near. Amen. And what we see at the end of chapter 2, there's this intimacy with God and all that sort of thing. But you get Genesis 3, another character comes on the scene, um, Satan. His name means adversary. And he lives up to his name. He manifests himself in a serpent. You know the story, if you've, <laughs> if you've been around a church for a while, tells Adam and Eve, ah, God didn't really mean what he said. He actually twists the word of God. By the way, he still does the same thing. He twists the word of God, undermines the word of God. It's like, he tells Adam and Eve, actually, <laughs> he just doesn't want you to be like him. It's okay, go for it. And you know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve succumb to the seduction and sin. And by the way, just real quick, um, just so you know, I'm not letting Adam and Eve off the hook. James 1's very clear. We are tempted when we are drawn and enticed by our own desire. And, and so it's just Satan knows how to play those games. So long story short, what we, what we, have, what we have here is, is Eve sins and, and Adam sins. And what takes place when God shows up to the garden again and Adam and Eve have sinned? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. I got a little illustration for you. This uh, little bowl here, this little plastic bowl has been in our family and been in use almost daily since, man, let's see, over 20 years, Trey came on the scene. And so we bought it then and our kids have used this little plastic bowl for years. In fact, I had to get it out of the dishwasher to bring it today, all right, for this illustration. And so Cole, who's my youngest, um, he still uses it. What he does is he'll, and he's done this for years, he piles pretzels or, or chips or something. This, this is a snack bowl. And when he gets home from school, it's one of the first things that he does. He'll, he'll fill this up and take it, uh, you know, take it wherever, what he's doing, homework, whatever. Well, this is several years ago, eight or nine years ago. Um, we just had a come to Jesus meeting in our household, and here's why. They were eating chips in my bed. And dude, there is nothing worse than rolling over and having chips in your sheets. Like those chip crumbs, dude, it is the worst. And so I brought, I lined up uh, Trey, Cassie, and Cole, and I'm like, all right, new rule. Here's the way it's going to go. You guys can have chips, pretzels, whatever, so you snack. When you get home from school, you cannot, under any circumstances, take them upstairs and eat them on any bed in this house, especially on my bed. Cannot happen. Everybody get it? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, we're good. So it's like, it's like a week later. I come home. I know the, the, you know the, the kids are there, and I can hear Cole's favorite show blaring up in my bedroom. So I'm downstairs. I'm at the bottom of the stairs. Where our, our bedroom's at the top, and I'm like, hey, Cole. Cole. I didn't hear anything. And so I, I go upstairs, I open the, 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 the door is partially closed, I open the door, and this bowl <laughs> is sitting by my pillow <laughs> with 
chips and chip crumbs all around it. Oh. I'm like, Cole, I don't see him anywhere. Cole, I step out, I step outside the door right there at the top of the stairs. Cole, I, you know, I figure if he's in his room, he can hear me. Nothing, nothing. And I'm like, well, man, dude, I don't see him. I go back in the room, his show's blaring. I'm like, Cole, are you here? And very slowly, on the other side of the bed, his head begins to <laughs> rise. And he, he comes, he's standing, he's standing about this tall, and he's like, Dad, I'm sorry, I totally forgot. I don't know what got into me. I didn't mean to have chips in the bed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I ain't gonna tell you what happened after that. But anyway, <laughs> I just say he didn't do it again. But um, <laughs> here's the interesting thing. When Cole heard my voice at the bottom of the stairs and he knew what he had done and the evidence was there, he did not want to be with me. He did not want to answer me. He did not want to be seen. He hid. He did exactly what his ancestors, Adam and Eve, did. Anytime sin enters the picture, intimacy with God is broken and we hide. We hide. And this is, this is, the, this is what's going on here. This, this intimacy with God is lost because of sin. And, and actually, this word loss, I want to talk about this just, just for a, a couple of minutes because maybe we need some clarity here. What does it mean to be lost? You might, you might hear that in a spiritual context. It, it makes sense, really, even when you think about the term, that to be lost means to be out of place, to, to be omitted. Some, something that is lost is just something that's not where it's supposed to be. Not where it was intended to be. Like, like anybody ever lose their wallet? Like you lose your wallet, right? Okay, None, nobody else, like what is up with you guys? Seriously, I, I like, you guys must be super Christians. I want you to come up here and preach. I'm gonna sit down over here because I lose my, my wallet and it stresses me out. Not because of my credit card, my, my, I mean my debit cards or my, my cash or anything like that. It's because that little plastic thing, my license, I'm have to go to the DMV and wait in line for 72 hours. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And, and so, so like, here, here's my thing. I've got a wallet. I've got, I might have cash in my wallet. I got the cards. They do me no good if it's not where it's supposed to be. And I don't know where it's at. I lose my keys. You've lost your keys. Got to thank God for those little tile things now. You know, that's great. We've got, a, we've got a, a junk drawer in our house. Anybody else have a junk drawer? Like we've got a junk drawer and we've got this ring of keys. Dude, nobody knows what those keys go to. In fact, it's like rabbits in there. Literally, they're multiplying, man. There's just like keys. And, and, but we hold on to them because someday we're gonna come across a lock. That, that key is gonna be somewhere. Here's my point. Something that is not where it's supposed to be is something that, is of, that, that can't be used as it, as it was intended to be used. And, and I just wanna say something. Sin does not make a person less worthy, if I can use that word. It actually just makes a person lost. And, and this is a major thing. In, in fact, in, 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 uh, in Scripture, there was, a, there was a place that Jesus referred to. He, he was describing hell, and he describes it as a place of the lost. And he used this term Gehenna to, to describe it. You, you ever read that, that word? 
Well, for the Israelites, it's a real place. In fact, guys, show, show the picture. Um, at the, at the, the southern tip of, of the bottom there of, of Jerusalem, there's, there's a place called the Valley of Hinnom. Now, in the Old Testament, there were terrible, terrible things that happened in that valley. When, when uh, the Jews began to, to turn from God, began to worship other gods, one of the false gods they worshiped was the, the, the god Molech. And they would literally sacrifice their kids. They would burn them and offer them in that valley. And when you read, like, there's some jacked up gross stuff that, that, that happened. And it was, it was so, that was part of the reason that the judgment of God came upon them. There were some terrible things. So, you know, they're taken to captivity. But even when they came back and they rebuilt the, the city, of, you know, the walls around Jerusalem and that sort of thing, this place became... It was, it, was, it was a terrible place, a lot of bad stuff there. It became a garbage dump. Gehenna literally, it was a place where you would bring all kinds of trash. Um, you would bring, uh, man, like even, like if they executed criminals or whatever, they would dump their bodies there, animal carcasses. They, my understanding is there was just this, there was a flame that would never go out. It was, there was like this terrible smell. It was a flame. It was just, there was always a fire there that was trying to take care of the trash. Maggots, worms. It was a terrible, terrible place. When, when, Jesus is describing hell and he uses Gehenna. Every, is, man, every person there would have known exactly what he was talking about. They, they, they had smelled that smell. That was a place you did not want to go unless you had it. It was the place of the lost. Now I want to say something. Hell is a real place. Just because we don't want something to be true doesn't make something not true. The reality is because of our lostness, there's this self-obsession that results in a self-delusion in which we don't understand who we are or what we're created for. In fact, we actually buy into lies as to who we are and what we were created for. We can even, we can even start out saying, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and when we get there, we figure out, no, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I, Here's the interesting thing about, about hell, the place of the lost. It's a place for people who do not want to be in the presence of God. There, there's this weird, illogical thought that salvation is universal, that everyone's going to be saved and everybody's going to go to heaven. That cannot, that cannot possibly be true. If, if what we know about heaven is, is, is true. It's a place where God is fully present. Why in the world would God force somebody to be with him for all eternity when we don't want to be with him here? Hell is, is a place, God literally allows rebels to remove themselves from his presence. It's what he, it's what he did with Adam and Eve. They, they left his presence. This is why Paul talks about in Romans 1, these people that suppress and deny the truth of God and that sort of thing, he gives them over to, to, to minds that, that become, they use the word reprobate minds. It literally, you're, you, you start going in this road, this road that is a scary place to go. He allows us to run. But the good news is this. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, I have come, what do you say? To seek and to save the lost. I mean, this is, this is not a, a whole message on this. I, I just have to set this up to, to, for us to understand 
why it is we do not instinctively follow Christ. There's a problem that must be dealt with. There's something that has to take place. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And in the very first message that he preaches, you can see this in Matthew chapter four, the very first message that Jesus preaches was, it said from this, from this time on, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what's that have to do with anything? Hold on, it's very important. Because we're lost. We're going, we're going the, the wrong direction. We don't know where we're supposed to be. We just know when we arrive where we think we're supposed to be that it's not really it. There's no satisfaction. What, what is this? We, we, ha, we, we might not even be able to put into words, but even from an identity standpoint, we don't understand who we are. There's an answer for this. And it has everything to do with this word repent. Now, if I ask you to define the word repent, maybe it would have something to do with, man, there was an invitation given one time and I repented of my sins. And, and that could very well be the case. Maybe there, there was a time you, you prayed a prayer, you raised a hand, you stood up, you know, and, but, but here's the thing, that in and of itself, the action was not the repentance, it's the means by which you express your repentance. Repentance, the Greek word translated repent, that Jesus is using simply means a changing of the mind. It's a changing of the mind. It's a, it's a turning from thinking this, believing this, to believing something totally different. Now, in, in this series, we're talking about uh, you know, the, uh, this, this radical renovation. And I've been referring back to the, you know, the greatest command that, that Jesus said we're given is to love the Lord our God with what? Our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to propose, uh, this is my big point, you can write this down, that this whole idea of Christ-likeness, it's not just something that we do with our hands because we're always looking for externals. Literally, Christ-likeness begins with repentance. Christ-likeness begins with a changing of the mind. This is, this is, what, this is where Christ-likeness begins. And this takes me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And this is the Apostle Paul writing where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We've touched on a little bit of this last week. It's the Spirit who's the agent of transformation. But because we've been given everything that we need for, for life and righteousness, we pursue these things. This is what we're talking about. We present ourselves. Then, we, then Paul goes on to say this in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world. That is our default. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What we see here is, is really this renewing of the mind is, is, is the transformation. It's where Christ-likeness begins from the inside out. The Holy Spirit, the agent of transformation, begins with this repentance. And can I, can I just say something? Repentance, there is an initial point of conversion, as we talked about, as Mike Avery talked about two weeks ago. But there's this ongoing work in which our mind is continuing to be renewed. Repentance is not merely a one-time thing. There is a repentance that happens as we submit to the Holy Spirit's direction. 
And, and what we do is it, the Holy Spirit is the, the agent of transformation, but we agree with his work, what he's calling us to do. We agree with him and we actively obey. And there are two main things, because I, I would say when it comes to the, you know, it comes to changing our mind, there are three areas. I'm only going to get to two of them. Next week, I'm going to, I'm going to have to hit because I got, I got into sermon prep, like there is, we'll be here till Jesus comes back. And so listen, he's, <laughs> next week we'll, we'll, we'll split this uh, but, but, thought, uh, but our minds are made up of uh, there's the thoughts, thoughts and ideas, and then our feelings. Next week, we're going to talk about feelings. I want to talk about two things I think are really important. With the Holy Spirit's help, with our agreement, our active obedience, the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to change our ideas. Now, this is, this is important because ideas are significant. Um, all of us have ideas about how the world functions. All of us have ideas about what is right and wrong. And every one of us think probably that our ideas are right. And we really struggle when somebody else has different ideas. But it's interesting how, man, from an early age, you are trained either by your culture, specifically through your family or the church, the school, whatever, to believe certain things. So for instance, I have a specific, you know, specific standard when it comes to work ethic. There are things I demand of my kids you might not demand of your kids. But part of that comes, I think I'm right. Anyway, uh, but, part, <laughs> but, but, but a lot of that comes from the way I was raised. I, I've, you know, we, we all have differing ideas sometimes, even when it comes to things like morality. Not everybody shares the same standard. But it's funny because we interpret the world through these ideas. The American dream, what, a, you know, what freedom is, is all about. These, these are really, really important interesting thing. Every time we're watching TV and, and a commercial comes on, or you listen to the radio and, and you hear something come on, or you're online and, and you know, Google is tracking your all, every thought, and so there's like, a, you just literally thought about buying a house, and all of a sudden there's something that shows up, you know. All of those are, are advertisers that are trying to change your ideas. Can I just tell you that this whole changing the idea, it's nothing new, because, because the world is trying to form you spiritually as well. This is, why, this, this is why he said, don't be conformed to the world. They're trying to form us. And, and that, because they know if, if I can change your ideas, I can change the way you vote. I can change the way you live. I can change what you buy. I can change what you stand for. Listen, culture, media, advertisers, movies, whatever. Dude, they, they're, not, they're no dummies. But neither is God. Where do you think this originated with? God knows that it starts with our mind. So all these, these centuries before, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these words, don't be conformed to this world. This renewing of the mind, this changing of our ideas, this, 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 is, this is the way that we are spiritually formed. What, what happens is, is through the Holy Spirit, as the word is enlightened, we begin to recognize idea systems of, the, of, of evil, an evil system, the world that is within us. And we repent, we change our minds. We turn from these things and we submit them to Christ. We're transformed, we replace these evil ideas by, by the idea system that Jesus taught, that he embodied, that is very clear. We're called to follow Christ, not the world. This is what it means to pass from darkness to light. But many times we can pass, man, we can be saved but we still need to have this ongoing renewal take place. This is the radical renovation that we're talking about. This is why the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12. He, in essence, he's saying, you think your issue is people. But he said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. 
Our issue isn't people. Like you're mad at people. Like you get on Facebook and you see some, some, somebody posting and you like get mad at them and you go at them. Dude, it's not people. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These authorities and powers, this, this invisible system of the world, they are opposed to God. We have to be renewed. This radical renovation comes by recognizing, first of all, the fact that these systems are present even as Christians in our lives. We've bought into lies and they will cost us that intimacy with God if we do not walk in obedience. We don't walk by the Spirit. But the beautiful thing is, again, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He is still reconciling even today. That's why we, Paul goes on to write in Colossians 1.13 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But this happens by the means of something we call conversion. Now, conversion is not some sanitized thing where I prayed a prayer and I felt better. Literally, conversion is, is well, let me just put, describe it this way. You ever broke a bone? like broke your leg, okay, or broke arm, something like that. You broke a bone. When you broke the bone, it probably, hopefully, wasn't just a slow break. Like, <laughs> No, you, usually it's the result of some sort of crisis. There's some sort of pressure that's, that's quick, and, and it breaks the bone. I, I want to th think of this whole thing. Conversion is this trans, it literally is. It's what takes place when we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's not that we just pray to prayer and we feel better. It literally, there is a change that happens immediately. There, there's a change in status. We might not fully understand it, don't get me wrong, but following Jesus costs something. It's kind of like when you get married. Like when you get married, you, you walk forward, sing, a single, single people, you, you, you say, your, you make your vows, you, you walk out. Instantly, something changed. You might not fully know, you know the extent of, of your vows and all that sort of thing, but something has changed. You've been converted from a single person to a married person. Like, that's not a spiritual, eh, for some of you it might be, but I'm just telling you, that's just, that's it. Okay, I, I, I did something stupid one time. Um, show picture, uh, we got the picture here. Um, <laughs> I jumped out of a plane. Okay, now here's the deal. That, the guy that I'm, I'm with, I don't know him, you know, we were really close for about, I don't know how long, <laughs> but, but here's the deal. He was fast in the back. He did not push me out of the plane. I still remember we, we got up there and said, you guys, you ready to do this? And I wasn't sure. I didn't even answer, but they had, he said, there's a little step over the plane. And he said, put, put your right foot out there. I put my right foot out there and I had a decision to make. I could either fall back in the plane I could just go for it. And I went for it and it was the greatest, however long it was of my life. Now I will tell you, I got down and I was like, that's good, I've done it, we're good. Uh, but, I, I, but here's the thing, here's the thing. This whole, this, this whole idea of conversion, it's literally understanding that there's a change that takes place and, and, and it's a, literally a wrenching away. Something is totally different. This is, this is the means by which we are, we, are, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And then it's, it's, it's this ongoing work in which our minds are renewed. Now, here's the deal. I got to bring us to a close. We change your ideas with the help of the Holy Spirit. Through our, you know, our obedience is part of this as well in response to what he's teaching us. But the second thing 
is this. The Holy Spirit will transform us by virtue of this. He's going to require us to think. And I want to say something, and I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic or anything when I say this. This is very irritating for some people. Because thinking requires us to challenge ideas that we want to hold on to. Some of you have this idea that the harder you work for Jesus, the more he's going to love you. And it seems really weird when you come face to face with the fact that it's by, it's by grace through faith in Christ's work that you're saved. It does not seem fair. And that's probably because it's not. If God was fair, we'd all be in trouble. But the reality is, is, is this. We have to think. Paul says in, Paul writes in Romans 10, 14, how then will they believe, uh, will they call on him in whom they've not believed? He says faith comes by hearing, but hearing comes from the word of God. We have to think. There has to be something that is true north for us. I can't just, I can't just, don't, don't just take my word for it. This is why the renewing of our mind, it begins with the Holy Spirit illuminates. God's spoken. He's still speaking through his word today. This is how we are renewed. Don't take my word. I love the Berean Christians. It says that they weren't like the other guys in Thessalonica. It says in Acts 17, 11, that they studied the scriptures daily to see if what they were taught was so. Man, I like those kind of guys. I will screw it up. I will say something stupid I don't mean to say. I can't tell you how many times I've got home and Lori said, you said this. And I'm like, I did not. She said, yes, you did. I'm like, no, I did not. She's like, yes, you did. Go listen to it. And I listened to it. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Listen, I'm fallible. The word of God is not. And this is the means by which we are transformed. The Holy Spirit, he uses the word. And, and many times he'll, he'll also use people who know the word, but it's always, man, go back to the word. We, it requires thinking. Now there's some dangers to this because it's only the humble who become like Christ. It's only the humble that can change your ideas. Like, well, listen, man. I just am who I am. I believe who I, what I believe and bless God, that's the way it's gonna be. Well, I guess you're just gonna stay where you are. Only the humble can be transformed. There's a lot of dangers. You know, there's some dangers to watch out for when it comes to submitting to the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's just pride and overconfidence. You know, Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. The church has their own version of it. We've always done it this way. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how long you've done something. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Everything comes through the Holy Spirit. We let the Holy Spirit cut us open and do his surgery. C.S. Lewis said to a young atheist who just, it was arguing with him about God. And he said, young man, be very careful. Be very careful about what you read. He said, you can't be too careful about what you read. You must steadfastly protect your ignorance. I like that, it's good right there. <laughs> but I, I will tell you this, there is no excuse even for the Christian for intellectual laziness. We are called to think. Let my people think. And, and this, is, this is a means by which the Holy Spirit is transforming us. 
a lot of times we get in the way because we want our desires to guide our thinking. Um, we, we allow things in our minds that, that should not be there. There are images that we allow uh, in, in our mind. You know, our, our culture boasts of complete freedom to do whatever they want. You know, I'm going to say what I want to say, do what I want to do. You can't tell me it's a free country. Yeah. But the Apostle Paul said, even though all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. And I, I don't have some of my notes. But when I, when I was, I, I was raised in a background that it, it literally was marked by, don't do this, 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 okay? And so because of that, I'll be honest with you, there, there's been a little reaction to that. I'm just being honest. I, because first of all, there was, there was very little grace. It was, it was a lot of works, not a lot of grace. But can I tell you that there is, there's a danger of legalism, but there's also a danger of licentiousness. That I have the license to do whatever I want to do. I can watch whatever I want. And, and I'm going to get a little old school on you right now. There are a lot of us that are letting things in our mind, in our eyes, in our ears, that are literally putting obstacles in place of us becoming like Christ. I do not doubt for a moment that, you, that you've been saved. I just uh, at times question if, if we're exercising wisdom. Listen, I've, I've been there. God, God has continued to convict me. But dude, if you, if you find yourself having a steady diet of things that glorify nudity, immorality, violence, you're like, oh, dude, don't be a prude. Listen, I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. Do you want to be like Jesus? I, I want to be like Jesus. And, and for, for some of us, there has to be not just the conversion in which we pass from death to life, there, there's actually a separation from the things that we want to hold on to. It's, it requires us to think. It requires us to get serious about what we're letting in. Man, I could go on forever, but I'm going to stop meddling. We're going, let's, get to, let's get to application. What, what's, this, what's this look like? I'm, I'm going to leave you here with this. I have something that, uh, that I call, it's the VIM method, V-I-M. V-I-N, all right? The vision is what we're called to, to be transformed, to become like Christ. This, this, is, this is what I want. But then there's the intention in which there's a commitment I'm making to do this. I like what Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where he said in verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's awesome. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's the renewing of our minds. So, the, so there's, there's the vision, there's the intention, and then there's the means by which we do this. This is what we've been talking about. It's, it's, you know, for every person, it's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit that is the agent of transformation. But we do have to carry on. A guy told me, he said, you need to, you call it vim. He said, call it vim and vigor. Vision, intention, the means, and then vigorously go get her done. I'm like, man, I like that. I wish I'd have thought of that. That was, that was good. But, but here's, here's the thing. This is what it means. We pursue this. And so I would challenge you to th do this. I put it on the back of your sermon guide. If you've got your app, it's on there. Take the word in. 
Be transformed. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take the word in. Meditate on it. Ponder its meaning. Explore its implication. Live out of the overflow. Information plus application equals transformation. This is where it starts. Find somebody else to live it. You're like, well, this guy, he knows a lot of theology. Don't find a theologian. Find, some, find a practitioner. Find somebody that lives it. Find somebody that lives it. And you know, it's amazing what God will begin to do. And here's what I know. When our mind is transformed, it touches on the heart, the soul, and our strength. Because I want to love God the way I, I, I was intended to love God. I want to be restored. I want the intimacy that's been lost because of the fall to be restored. Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving and reconciling the lost. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do your work of reconciliation in your church, your body. Dear God, may we not be content for having a, a little bit of fire insurance. God, you didn't call us to merely be saved to a status where we can brag about, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm this. No, you, you're in the business of making us like Christ. And we know that one day you're gonna finish this work you're starting. I'm thankful for this. And so God, I pray that this, this week, that this group of people that are called by your name, we would go out, that we would live this. But, but Father, we would open ourselves up to the renewing of the mind. Dear God, that we would see your, your word not as something to be avoided or something that we're scared of or something that might confuse us, but something to be explored. Dear God, I pray that you would create in us a desire for, for Jesus, to be like Jesus, that you give us that vision. Dear God, that, that as we pursue, that as, as we commit to this and as we pursue, you would allow us the joy of living out of that overflow. And God, for what you're going to do in your people, I want to thank you for this, because I believe that as, as our minds are renewed, Lord, we'll be able to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. And so God, for what you're going to do and renew in our mind this week, I thank you for this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Don't forget, next steps three is tonight, 4 p.m. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you.